Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Hey, I want you to grab your worship guides if you would, and uh, uh, grab your Bibles if you would. Look over, look over to to a man, and if he's if he's your husband or your dad, say, "Hey, Happy Father's Day!" Come on, tell him, "Happy Father's Day!" <clears throat> it's a great day. Um, Father's Day started in Spokane, Washington. A lady by the name of Sonora Smart Dodd. She thought Father's Day was a great idea. It's 1909. She's listening to a Mother's Day message on Mother's Day. And she was raised by her father, William Jackson Smart, after her mom died. Her father was, was the person that she felt like that made all the sacrifices. He was very courageous in her eyes, a very loving man. So, so she decided that, you know, fathers need a day. So her father was born in June, so she decided June would be Father's Day, first Father's Day celebrated on June 19th. And then 1956, a resolution to the Congress was put out there. 1972, President Richard Nixon established a permanent national observance of Father's Day, the third Sunday of every June. Everybody say, thank you, fathers. Come on. Yeah, see, that's so weak right there. You know why? Because fathers take a back seat to mothers. Now, it's, it's amazing. Father's Day and Mother's Day is totally different. I looked it up. Only 62% of Americans will celebrate Father's Day. 92% celebrate Mother's Day. Go figure. 74.3% consumers say they're going to buy their dad a greeting card. Okay, 74. 97% purchase a Mother's Day card. What is that? 36% say they still buy their dad a necktie. Come on. Anybody ever got a necktie for Father? Now, I'm not wearing one today. My mom bought me this shirt, and I wanted to wear the shirt today and be a little bit dressed down. But anybody ever got a Father's Day a necktie? Come on, you ever have, right? 30, 39% still do. $8 billion is spent on fathers, but almost $13 billion are spent on mothers. Are you kidding me? Come on, dads. We just don't get the respect, do we? Until you look at the spiritual value of a father. Now, listen, I'm not going to just preach to dads today, but listen. Every study out there says today that all of the major issues that we're having in our culture today is connected to the breakdown of the influence of a dad or a positive male role model in our youth's lives today. I can't tell you how many men that we will meet in Westfield or even in the biker ministry that that we have with Honorbound that when we meet them, they will tell me, Pastor, I never had a positive male role model in my life. Didn't have that. Why does the enemy fight men? So listen, listen to this statistic. 
Barna said, if a child, if a child is the first in the family to accept Christ and start going to church, and we have many that's done that. We have young people in our church today that their parents are in our church because they started coming to Christ. But if a child is the first person, only 3.5% change of the rest of the family coming to Jesus, okay? If a mother, and we love our mothers, right? Come on, we love them. But if a mother is the first to accept Christ, the percentage is only 17%. But if the father is the first to accept Christ, if the father truly becomes a disciple of Jesus, the rest of the family will follow 93% of the time. Come on. Right there's the value of the dad. Come on. Yeah, we may not make it on the card list. We may still get neckties, and some people will forget it's Father's Day. But guess what? We are extremely valuable when it comes to the spiritual success of our families. Amen? We are blessed at this church to have so many men. I cannot tell you how many people will visit this church, and they will come back Will they comment to me, Pastor, I was blown away to see all the men, older men, young men, middle I was blown away to see all the men that you have coming to the church. We are blessed at this church. Come on. All of our campuses, Full Throttle, uh, Wanita, North Chester, come on, give all of our men a real good hand clap, okay? Well, that's my Father's Day. I'm done. We're dismissed. Let's go home. But I want you to look at Mark chapter 8. Now, today, I've got my coat off, got my sleeves rolled up. We're going to have a conversation around the table because we got a very, very important question that Jesus is going to ask us today. We've been looking at these questions all year long. There's over 300 questions in the Old and the New Testament where God asked us a question or Jesus asked us a question. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus is with a crowd of people around him, beginning at verse 34. Then he, Jesus, called the crowd to him. He summons them, brings them, along with his disciples and said, If any of you would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. And then here's the question. He brings us closer. He said, what good is it for a man? Now, that's man or woman there. He's not talking about genetics here, just, just the male. What good is it for a man or what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit or lose his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. Very sobering question. How do we navigate around the fact that he asked this question, what does it profit? What, is a, what are you going to gain if you, if you forfeit your soul to try to get this world? Now, 
Now, I, I've summarized this sermon. I, I put this in your notes because this is important. I want you to understand this because we're not about trying to work our way to heaven. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost your life. Understand that. You're not at a church where you, feel, where you feel like you have to earn penance or you have to work your way in somehow or another to be good enough to get to heaven. You understand that? We're not talking about access to heaven. We're talking about our influence and our impact as we live out our lives upon this earth. Our relationship with Jesus having come to him, having confessed their sin, having opened our life to him and said, Lord, we want you to be the Lord of our life. That's what enables us to be able to get to heaven. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost your life. And again, I remind you, if, if a man is the first person to follow Christ and he becomes a disciple of Jesus, 93% of your family is going to follow. So, so what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? I mean, what, what, what's Jesus talking about? Basically, when, when you follow Jesus and his summons or his, his, his calling people out, he, he calls us to a radical abandonment of ourselves for his glory. He, he calls us to live a, a joyful dependence upon his grace in our life, but we live with this urgency to obey him in order to live out our lifestyle. You see, Christ not only saves us, but he transforms us, right? Come on. Transformation is what it's all about. I, I, I'm, I was amazed at, at uh, Henry Ironside. He, he one time, he pastored over in, in the Chicago area at Moody Church. He was there for, for many years. Henry Ironside was preaching in Chicago, and he was interrupted by an atheist that started shouting at him, there is no God. You know, Jesus Christ is a myth. So, so he, he kind of allowed that to happen for a few minutes. And then the atheist said, I challenge you, Mr. Ironside, to a debate. And Ironside stopped what he was doing, stopped preaching. And he looked at that guy. He said, I will accept your challenge on one condition. And the atheist said, what is it? And Ironside said that, if you will bring me 10 men or women whose lives have been changed for the better by the message and the belief in atheism, bring me former prostitutes, bring me former criminal, criminals whose lives have been changed, who are now moral, responsible individuals, bring me outcasts that have no hope and tell me that their lives have been changed by, by becoming an atheist then I will debate you. And the guy stopped. And then Ironside proceeded. He said, I will bring with me 200 men and women from this very city whose lives have been changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the atheist said, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> Atheism doesn't change lives. Come on, you understand that? Jesus Christ is the one that transforms us. And in doing and changing our lives, listen, he calls us to discipleship. It's costly to follow Christ. But Jesus is going to show us the price is worth paying. So what's this? Now, 
He's not teaching against possessions and money. And listen, Jesus was never against us having stuff, okay? He just doesn't want stuff to have us. Does that make sense? He's not against you having things. He's not against you having possessions. He just doesn't want possessions to have us. He said, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health. But what Jesus is going to teach us is that, that he doesn't want us to forsake God for the sake of just temporal success in this world, in this culture that we're living. So what is, what is he referring to? Why is it unprofitable? Why is it bad business to spend our lives attempting to gain the things of the world? Well, first of all, our present world and the things in it, they're, 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 the world is just temporal, right? Most of us. Most of us really know this. Romans 8 and 21 says, all creation is subject to bondage of decay. Everything that we see in this world today, listen, nothing is permanent, nothing is eternal. Everything will eventually decay and be gone. You understand that? It's like trying to hold sand in your hand. It eventually runs right through it. So Jesus says, listen, it's simply bad business. It's unprofitable. To, to, to try to gain what is temporal and lose the eternal. Secondly, he reminds us that it's bad business to invest in the temporal because you and I are not temporal. See, we have eternal souls. Now, what's this? Listen, life doesn't begin with birth, nor does it end with death. Understand that. Now listen, life doesn't begin with birth. Neither does it end with death. Now listen, one day our bodies are going to die, right? Come on. We understand that. But listen, the moment that we're born, we start dying. But we have eternal souls that's going to live forever. And Jesus is saying that nothing on this temporary world, nothing that we can see is worth more than our souls. There's nothing that this world has to offer to us that has an equal value to the soul of man. So Jesus says it's unprofitable to gain the world and lose your soul. Why? The world is temporal and you are not. So how do we navigate that in this culture right now? How do we make sure? Dads, moms, teenagers, how do we make sure that what we're living for is worth dying for? Because if what you're living for is not what, worth dying for, then it's really not worth living for. Well, good preaching, Pastor. I wish I'd brought, man, I should have brought my horn definitely to this message. I like it into the difference between living our lives by a compass or living our life by the clock. See, see, we, we move from what we're doing in life to where we headed in life when we stop focusing on the clock and we start focusing on the compass. You see, I'm more interested in making sure that I'm going in the right direction than I am counting the minutes of how long it takes me to get there. Does that make sense? When, when, when I focus on the compass and not the clock, the clock is all about the daily things that I'm doing. You look at the clock. What time do I have to go to work? What time is my appointment? What time I, I need to, listen, I'm not saying we don't have a clock, but I'm saying when you focus on the clock, the clock is about the daily things that you do. When you focus on the compass, the compass equals destiny things, 
The compass is about not what I'm doing, but where am I going? Where am I headed? The clock is just about my appointments, my activities. My compass, what's my vision? What's my value? What's my mission? And listen, I, I, I hear all the excuses. You hear all the excuses, what, what people will give for, for overworking or spending more time on temporal things than they do eternal things, right? Come on. We, we hear all the excuses. Sometimes people blame, well, you know, I got to provide for my family, Pastor. I mean, I mean, you know, everybody's got to work, and yeah, I've got to provide for my family. Uh, oftentimes we'll say, you know, Pastor, my work is so important that, that if I slow down, it, it would just, it would just be, it just be very sinful if I just, if I, my, I mean, what I do is really, really important compared to eternity, is it? That's all Jesus is saying. He, he, he said, "Listen, I, I want you to understand that when you, when you focus on the temporal, when you, when you put all of your energy on things that's going to fade away one day, you lose sight on the things that are eternal. And what is it real profited if you do those things, but you lose yourself? See, all we always liken it into the fact that we, we usually have a value problem because we start valuing the wrong thing. Again, Jesus is talking about profit. He's talking about, you know, what, 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 what business mindset. I love, I love what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 4 and 4. Ecclesiastes said, I have also learned why people work so hard to succeed. He said, it is because they envy the things their neighbors have. Now, I know that's none of us, but you ever, you ever seen somebody who got caught up with keeping up with the Joneses? They spent money that they don't have to buy things that they don't need to impress people that don't even like them. <laughs> come on. Now, you, I know you've never done that. We're going to talk about those people that didn't come to church today. Listen, we, we, listen Solomon says we, we, have a, this, we have this value problem. E either, either we can spend all of our time trying to keep up with the Joneses and buy the next big thing that somebody else has got, or we can forget about them, put our focus upon him, have an eternity mindset. And listen, when I do that, it reduces all the stress level around me. See, that's how this becomes the question of value. Because again, let me go back and read verse 36. Jesus said, what good is it for someone to gain the world, yet you forfeit yourself. You see, our work and our worth are two different things. Too many people today in our culture, we allow our work to have the same value as our worth. And it's not. Listen, our eternal soul, Jesus said, what is you profited if you, if you stack all this stuff up, you gain all of this, but you lose this. And I, I know we got some people in this room, some of you, you might have grew up and, and, and somebody might have told you that you're worthless. So you know what you do? You go out into the workplace and you try to prove everybody how wrong they are. And in the back of our mind, we keep telling ourselves, I'm going to show them, I'm going to prove how wrong they are. <laughs> you ever found yourself doing that? I've got to prove something. You know how many siblings get caught up in the sibling rivalry of stuff and things? It isn't love and attention. It's about, do I have more toys than you have? 
Is, is, is my house bigger than your house? Is this big? And all of a sudden, we, we, we start valuing those things, and we lose out on the eternal value of our souls. Listen, I'm, as a pastor, I've been beside the bedside of people that, that have taken their last breath. I've been in a hospital. I've been in their home. I've actually been in a few times by an accident where, where somebody is going to die on the scene. And listen, not one time, not one time did I ever hear anybody in their dying breath say these words. Man, I wish I'd worked eight more hours. Boy, I wish I would have stayed overtime just a few more days. Not once. You know why? None of that stuff matters when this life is over. So, so listen, Jesus said, what if you profit if you gain the world and you lose yourself? What can we compare? One translation said, what can be compared with the value of eternal life? Now, again, sadly, we see people all the time trading their soul for, for money, for fame, for materialism. And our souls is worth much more than that. Paul, Paul writes this. I love it when he says this in Philippians 3. I mean, he had a wake-up call one day following Jesus. This, this tremendous uh, bolt in the night that, that got a hold of him. Lightning comes down. And Paul would later write in Philippians 3, 7. He said, I once thought all these things were so very important that now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I may have Christ. You know what Paul realized? He, he realized that there was nothing, no status, no amount of money, no pleasure. There was nothing more important to him than Jesus Christ. Now, salvation is free. Listen, please don't. Con- salvation is free. Discipleship, to really follow Jesus, it always costs us something. So there's four things that Jesus points out here. Very simple. I'm just going to show them, and then I'm going to give you a conclusion. There's, there's four conditions that Jesus said we all have to meet in order to really follow him. Now, salvation is free. Discipleship costs. So Jesus says this first thing. He says this. He said, if anyone would come after me. In other words, one of the first conditions that he mentions is there there has to be a desire to be a disciple. Because the word, the two words come after in the Greek is the idea is that there has to be an intentionality about this. If if you and I are going to become a disciple of Jesus and we're going to follow him, it involves our will. In order to walk with Jesus, listen, we must first want to walk with Jesus. Hello? In order to follow him, there has to be a desire. The idea is that we're lining up in movement. We we are getting behind the Lord to follow him. We're not in front of him. We're not behind him. We, We are there lining up beside him to walk with him. I love that. And I have discovered over the years in talking to hundreds of people about not just salvation, but discipleship, you have to want to do this. You have to want to make it a priority to have Jesus as not just the Lord of your life, but to be the leader of your life. And listen, so many people are not following the Savior simply because they haven't developed 
the desire to do so. I talk to people all the time, and I've noted, when you have a desire for sports, guess what? You'll find a way to play sports. When you have a desire for your kids to play sports, you ha- listen, I know families, they'll drive all over the county and other counties because they have a desire. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying when our desire is connected to what we're doing, we do it. True? If we desire possessions, we'll work whatever we have to work in order to be able to purchase them. If we desire to to, to be popular, we want people to like us. Listen, we will find ourselves, if that's our number one desire, we'll compromise our convictions in order that people might allow us to fit into them. Until we desire to be a disciple of Jesus, you'll never be a disciple of Jesus. That makes sense? Until we desire to say, you know what, God? I understand that there's nothing in this world compared to your glory. And until I long for you more than I long for anything else, until I desire you for more than anything else, I'll never let you lead my life. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 73 and 25. Whom have I have? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. I don't, I don't understand how desire works. I, I, I truly believe it's the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, showing us that by the compass that our future is brighter when we live by the compass rather than living by the clock. When I was 16 years old, listen, my mom and my dad, they sent me off to reform school. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. They let me go into ministry, okay? It's kind of like reform school. Think about it. I was thinking about it this week. I said, you know what? Mom and dad just blessed me at 16 and said, son, you want to leave home? You want to sell everything? You want to pack everything in one suitcase and go live under 10? God bless your little heart. And they did that. But now I'm thinking, I know my mom and dad saw a desire inside of me. Listen, I was capable of doing so many things, but I had, I had to, at, at that point in my life, I had one desire, and my desire was to follow Jesus. And that desire, desire that I had, that it was motivating me to the second word that Jesus talked about, it brings us to deny. Jesus said, if, if you desire to follow me, let him deny himself. Now listen, can I be honest with you? Everything within us screams against those words right there. Let him deny himself. You know what deny means? It deny means simply to refuse, to renounce. Denying ourselves means that we stop thinking that we know what's best for our lives and we trust and we surrender to God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. How many understand? That's, it's one thing to have a desire to follow Jesus. It's another thing to say, okay, you know what this desire is going to do? This desire is going to lead me now to what? Deny myself. I stop living for myself. I stop living for my moment. I start living for today, and I start living by the compass. I start living for the future. There was nothing about today's moment at 16 years of age that there was anything attractive about that other than the fact because I played music and I traveled, there was a few girls that thought that was attractive. Oh, he plays music and he sings and he travels under 10. Most of them didn't know I slept under 10. Most of them didn't know that I took a bath in the river. 
because I had so much cologne that I kept sprayed over me all the time. And they said he smelled so good because I didn't want the river water following me to wherever I was. You understand that? But listen, there, there was nothing attractive about denying myself to the fact. Listen, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6 and 19. He said, do, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. There's glorify God in your body. You know what denying yourself means? You have a desire. You know what you're not? It comes down to this. I just give up my life. I give up my right to run my life. I no longer want to be in charge of myself. See, when people talk about the Christ life and sanctification and, 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 and letting things drop off of us, you know, bad behavior, bad attitude, bad language, you know, what, what, you know, you know what that basically involves? It simply involves the fact that I understand my body doesn't belong to me. This is a temple of the Holy Spirit. You understand that? And because I understand that, because I have a desire to follow him, I now deny myself of the things that my flesh wants to do. I say, God, I want to surrender my life to you. John Calvin said that self-denial is the sum of Christian life. You know what I've discovered in my life? It's not a one-time trip to the altar. I grew up in a church that we believe in instant sanctification. They, they believed you get saved, you get sanctified, you get filled with the Holy Spirit. And they believed that there was a moment in time that you got instantly sanctified. And if you was instantly sanctified, man, you was ripe for the Holy Spirit. And your temple would open up and he would come in and you had the deal done. Okay? Done deal. They didn't tell me. It's one thing to put yourself on the altar. It's another thing to walk away from that altar and Satan follow you. <laughs> Hello? Any of you ever had him do that? Well, I went to the altar, Pastor Phil, and I give everything to God, and I just felt so good. I surrendered all, only to find myself the devil fight me the very next moment. You know why? Because he doesn't want you to live in self-denial. It's one thing to make a decision. It's to have a desire. But listen, it's another thing to say, I'm going to live in this self-desire. Well, D.L. Moody said this. He said, I have more trouble with myself than any other man that I know. I'm my biggest problem. I'm not yours. Some of you think I am. I'm not. You are your biggest problem. Salvation is free. Discipleship costs. You have to have a desire, Jesus said. You have to be willing to deny. And then he gives us a third word. Listen, if the first two conditions wasn't bad enough, desire and, and, and uh, be able to deny, the, the, the third word he brings, he said, you have to take up the cross daily. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about death. Because crucifixion in Jesus' day was a Roman punishment. Over 30,000 people had been nailed to the crosses, to crosses during Jesus' lifetime. And everyone knew in that culture that a cross was an instrument of shame and suffering and torture and death. And when a person took up his cross, he was starting the death march. We have totally changed that in our culture. 
When people say, well, I guess it's just a cross that I've got to bear. They, listen, we have romanticized, or romanticized the cross. We wear it around our neck. We put it in our homes. We, put it in, we, have, we have romanticized it to the point that now when we talk about the cross that I bear, we're usually talking about putting up with some obnoxious person that you work with or some obnoxious relative that you have, you know? No, it wasn't in that day. Listen, many people knew in that day that if you were carrying a cross, you were a condemned person. You were on the death march. Some people's cross in 2023 is still rooting for the Cubs to win again. I'm just telling you. It's a cross I got to bear. Pastor John says, it's just a cross I bear for Jesus. Staying faithful to the Cubs. Just keep wishing. Listen, is he in here? Okay, good. He's not in here. Don't tell him I said that. Listen, every, oh, wait a minute. He's in the back. Okay, John, I'm sorry. That's come out of the wrong place. Listen, everyone knew in Jesus' day that when you, when you had a cross, you, you were a dead man walking. You, you were saying goodbye to everything. You were turning your back on everything. So when Jesus calls a person to, to, to come to him, he said there has to be a desire to be my disciple. You have to deny yourself to be my disciple. You have to die to yourself. And we daily take up our cross to follow him. It's an ongoing process, isn't it? Number one question I get all the time from these bikers that, we, that we're ministering to. We had another great day yesterday and had a great experience, so just a God moment with some conversation. But the number one question that I get, that I get from people all the time is just simply, well, you know, how do you, how do you stay consistent? How do, you, how do you stay true? How do you make sure you don't get off the path? I get that all the time. And I tell them it's very simple. It's a daily decision you make. You understand that? I have a desire, I deny myself, I come to the place where I die to myself. But listen, it is a daily decision that I'm making that. Because listen, Phil wants to get off of that altar on a lot of different moments. I was in a meeting the other week, and listen, it was everything that I had in me not to have a come to Jesus moment and give the five-fold ministry, but I didn't. I said, now Phil, that is not going to help our situation. It's not going to change to something. I, but I thought to myself, and I'm, now I just do this. It's probably, you don't, I, I talked to myself. I said, Phil, it would feel good. You ever had one of those thoughts that you know it's wrong, but you know it's going to feel good in the moment? But you've got to live after that moment, right? Not just the clock. I've got to think about the compass. So Jesus said, listen, it's not just about desiring, denying, and dying. And then he gives us a fourth word. And the fourth word Jesus gives us on the condition of discipleship is devotion. Look at the last part of verse 23. He said, you have to come and follow me. What does it mean? It means we go with him. We're constantly following Jesus. Following him on a daily basis is the core of being his disciple. It means I'm a learner of Jesus every day. I'm a follower of Jesus every day. Jesus was constantly fighting against having false converts. He wanted to make sure that people understood the cost of following him. Salvation is free. Discipleship will cost you. 
Matter of fact, in, in Mark chapter 10, one day there's a rich young ruler that comes to Jesus, running up to Jesus, wanting to find out about eternal life. And when Jesus, the Bible said Jesus loved him, but then he challenged him. He challenged his idolatry of self, and he challenged his pursuit of possessions. He said, sell what you have. Come and follow me. The Bible said that that man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus didn't chase after him. Or Jesus didn't water down the condition to be a disciple. Wait, wait a minute. I didn't, I didn't mean you got to sell everything. Maybe I exaggerate. You just got to sell it. He did none of that stuff. Why? Because Jesus knew it was a commitment and it was costly to follow him. And that, that's where we find ourselves in our culture today. We, we, hear, we hear a lot of statistics out there saying that the number of Christians in our culture is shrieking right now. But the actual statistics that, that uh, George Barna is now discovering, the, the actual statistics is that people are leaving liberal mainline denominations and churches, but Bible-believing churches are growing. Because some people are tired of what it means to be a cultural Christian, and they're getting to a place where it's, listen, I want to sell myself out. I see the, the value of leaving this world to be able to pursue the eternal things in heaven. I wrote this in your notes. Christianity isn't collapsing. I think it's being clarified right now. I think Christianity in the last five years... There's clarity happening. It started before COVID. COVID just really kind of put the icing on the cake for some. There are still some churches today who people who left church during COVID, they still never come back to church. They go everywhere else. They just don't go to church. Not just here, all across America. But listen, Christianity in itself is not collapsing. We, it's growing. Denominations around the world may be shrinking. But listen, the Christianity, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, particularly the Pentecostal message of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, it is expanding all over the globe. God is moving by his spirit and by his power. But listen, the question that we're going to have to ask as, as a clarification continues to move, is will I follow Jesus Christ when things get difficult? Will, will I be a believer no matter what's going on in this world or happening, or will I decide at some point that I'm going to bail and I'm going to jump ship? I'm out of here. Jesus is teaching in John chapter 6, and I don't have time to, to go through that, but he, he's got this crowd around him. He's been passing out free food. They've been seeing miracles. And then Jesus always starts, he, he starts to say, you've got to internalize me unless you, unless you eat me, unless you uh, digest me, unless you really truly sell out to me. You cannot be my disciple. And the Bible said after this, many of his disciples turned their back no longer to follow him. Many no longer follow him. Christianity is being clarified right now. And there's people I guarantee you, listen, I, I, I was reading in devotion this week, Galatians 5 and 7. The Bible says you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? 
And I thought about that through the years, I've seen people, you know, some great people that were serving God, running the race, doing very well, but something happened to them. They took their eyes off of God. They took their eyes off of the goal. They took their eyes off of eternity, and they became casualties of the Christian faith. I want to finish well. Don't you? I, I, I'm proud of my start when I was 16. I, I, I was saved before I was 16. I grew up in church. But I'm proud of my start that I said, one day, God, I have such a desire. I'm going to deny myself. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die to myself. I'm going to devote myself. I, listen, I'm proud of that start. But listen, my start is not going to what is going to get me to the eternal place of entering in his glory. It has to be my finish. Am I going to finish strong Am I going to stay the course? Paul said, who did hinder you? I thought it interested. He didn't say what hindered you, why you were hindered, how you were hindered, when you were hindered, where you were hindered. He just simply asked, who hindered you? Who slowed you down? Who impeded your progress? That you stepped out of the game? Who got in your way? You understand there's a lot of who's in our life. Oh, there's some what's and there's some wins and there's some how, but there's a lot of who's. Come on. Some of you have had a few who's in your life come along beside you. I've, I've, I've discovered in my life, and Ron and I talking, and, you know, Wednesday we'll be married 49 years. I love that. I love that. I love the fact that we... We've navigated. Come on, come on. Some of you, some of you are saying yes. Some of you said, "Bless his little heart." Bless Sister Rhonda. Wow, Lord Jesus, help her. Listen, over the years, we, we've had all kinds of opportunities for the who's to hinder us from following Jesus, and we discovered there are some people, there are some who's that we just have to forgive. There, there are some people that. We refuse to allow bitterness derail our lives. And we just walk in forgiveness. We, we do, Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know, what they, they, don't, they know not what they do. Listen, they didn't ask forgiveness. Most of them didn't want forgiveness. But Jesus said, Father, I want you to forgive them. There, there's just some people that comes in our life. There are who? And when Satan would love for you to get your eyes off of the goal, and that who become a person that distracts you to the point that it takes you out of the game. There are some who's I forget. There are some, there are some who's I forgive. There are some who's I forget. There, there are other people in my life that come along my way. They, they might be good people, but you know what? They're just not traveling on the right course. They're, 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 just, not, they're just not going the same path in the same direction. Do what I do. I forgive some who's. I forget some other who. And then there's this third category. There are some who's that I just forsake. I just walk away. I don't, I'm not mad. I'm not upset. I don't hold anything. If I see them at Walmart, I wait. Hey, man, how you doing? I don't wait in the parking lot to try to run over them. No. But I just forsake them. I don't allow them to rent free space in my mind or my heart. Oh, I'm talking to somebody. 
See, you got some poo. You, you, you got some who's in your life that maybe you forgive them and maybe you, maybe you forgot. But listen, you, you're, you haven't yet forsaken them. You're still allowing them to hold you in bondage with, 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 with what they did, whether it was wrong or wasn't. Listen, it doesn't matter. Listen, let it go. Good preaching, Pastor Phil. I got to bring out the dessert at some point around this table, right? Come on. Let, let, me, let me wrap this thing up. Listen. Following Jesus is more than just adding him to, as a Facebook friend. It's more than just downloading an app, a Jesus app in my life. It's saying, Lord, I want you to be the Lord. I want you to be the leader of my life. Come on, Pastor Lindsay. He closes, he closes with three cautions, real, real quickly, closes with three cautions. Number one, after he lists these four conditions of discipleship, desire, deny, death, devotion. He concludes with these three cautions. He said, number one, if you focus only on your life, you're going to lose it. Right? If you focus only on this life, for whoever would save his life, he says in verse 24, you're going to lose it. Whatever you try to hold on to, and if you hold on to it and it's more valuable than Jesus is, listen, you're going to, in the end, you're going to lose it anyway. Jesus said we have to settle the surrender issue to commit ourselves to follow Jesus Christ. He said, if you lose your life, then you're going to save it. <laughs> Wait a minute. He said, if I save it, I lose it. Yeah? But he says, if you lose it for my sake and the gospels, you're going to save it. And what's this? He says, there's a cross. You, you have to desire. You have to deny. You have, you have to be willing to die. You have to have a devotion. But he said, there's a crown. You follow me? There, there, there's something to look forward to. Sometimes we lose sight of that. Oh, I tell you what, being a Christian is so hard. No, compared to what he's going to give us one day. And then secondly, he said, if you focus only on your success, you're going to squander your soul. For what is the profit of man if he gains the world and he loses or forfeits his soul? Jesus is using economic terms here. He's talking about profit, loss, and forfeit. You can gain everything, he says, and lose your very soul. We need to hear this today in our culture because he gets to the heart of our attempts to gain the world. He gets at the heart of what we're trying to do because many people live their lives with, with just instant gratification. And I, I tell people all the time, and when you know people say, Well, you know, Pastor, but but this makes me feel good. It it, it meets a need in the moment. Listen, the only problem with, with instant gratification, listen, is only instant for a while. The whole comes back. You ever notice that? The new smell car goes away. The vacancy is back again. I love the fact it's about the scales. And I got a picture here, and I just, I just listen to just imagine if you, could, if you could put everything on one side of the scales. It's empty because I want you to do this for you. You put everything you think you value right now. Put your family, put your career, put your legacy, put your church life, put your vacation, put your best 
uh, day that you, of your life that you've had, put all the accolades that you hear from people, you put everything on one side of the scale. And on the other side sits Jesus. And the weight of his glory, the weight of the fact that he's coming one day and we're going to stand face to face, eye to eye, and give an account of ourselves. Listen, it's unthinkable, it's unimaginable of the love and the friendship and the presence of Christ that he offers us that he says, listen, this, this is the weight of where it really matters. All this other stuff, if it don't fall off the scales, if it don't get stolen off the scales, it eventually is going to rot on the scales. Come on. Jesus said, listen, if you, if you understand this, and then thirdly, he said, if you're ashamed of Christ, he'll be ashamed of you. And in the last few months, I've read that verse several times just in devotion. We we mentioned it a few times in teaching, verse 26, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. When you think about being ashamed, have you ever heard somebody say, you're such an embarrassment to be around don't walk close to me. I don't want people to know we're together. No, no, I, I guarantee you we've, we've heard those words sometimes, and sometimes those words can be very painful. Sometimes they can be funny. Our grandkids, man, I love our grandkids, but our grandkids sometimes, they got such a warped sense of humor sometimes. I mean, it's just, I know they get it from their mothers, the mother's side. I, I know they do. Um, but I had, I had a few of them with me the other day, and we're walking through, and they're just, they're just being stupid. I'm thinking, stay away from me. Don't let people know you're with me at this moment. Now, it was funny. We laughed about it, you know. But listen, when you think about the word of shame, the, shame, the word of shame means to be unwilling to connect or restrain because of fear of shame, fear of ridicule, or disapproval. So watch this. When Jesus says, if you're, if you're ashamed of me, if you have fear of being shamed, fear of being ridiculed or, or disapproval, if you're ashamed of me and you're unwilling to testify of me and my words to this sinful world, guess what? I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father which is in heaven. That means despite the fish on your car, the Christian t-shirt you love to wear, the Christian music you listen to, the Christian movies that you watch, none of that makes any difference. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me, are you ashamed to read this Bible publicly? Or are you ashamed to put a Bible on your desk to put it visible? Or are you ashamed to, to pray over a meal before somebody that, that may not be a Christian? Are you ashamed to, 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 to walk in and allow people to know your faith? Not, not wear it on your shoulder to the point that it's in their faith, but just be bold enough to say, you know what, I'm a believer. 
I was at a, was a bike event yesterday. We had about 75. It was a great cause, and, you know, the Women's Crisis Center. And we, we're just there to support, do a bike blessing, 75 bikers. It's held at a bar, okay? It's at a, at a bar. And I have to go into a bar to, to get, because every time we go to an event like that, we give an offering. We give a blessing. I don't show up and just say, hey, we're here to do our thing. So I go in. We're not doing the ride, you know, because they're going to go to bar, to bar, to bar. And we're not doing the ride, but hey, here's an offering. And I'm in there, and I walk out, and this guy walks up to me. He said, my dad would never go into a bar. He's a Christian. I said, really? I said, what kind of a Christian is he? He had a conversation. He said, my dad would never be seen with people like us. I said, really? I said, I'm one of those preachers. I'm a friend with sinners. I'm not a friend of sinners. I'm a friend with sinners. And then I said, he said, oh, I understand. Then I stopped. I said, no, no, no. I'm really a friend of sinners because right now there's starting to be a little bit of trust that you're going you're gonna to trust me in, in areas that you didn't trust me before. And because I went in and I didn't participate, I didn't get nothing to drink, I didn't allow any, you know, any cup to be, oh, what is he drinking, you know? I tell my guys all the time, don't do that. Don't, don't give somebody suspicious. But we're there to do the ministry. And listen, I'm not ashamed to say, you know what, I'm a believer. I'm a, I'm a Christ follower. And then all of a sudden he opened up. And, and before you know it, him and his wife sitting there and they're asking me, would you pray about this? Would you pray about this? Would you pray about this? Jesus said, if you're shame, there's, there's two action steps real quick, then I got to quit. I know we're out of time. So if I focus on my own life, I'm going to lose it. If I focus on my success, I'm going to squander my, my, my soul. If I'm ashamed of Christ, he's going to be ashamed of me. So what's two action steps? Number one, I surrender spontaneously. Listen, each day, you know what I've noticed? Each day, we have these small, unexpected invitations that show up out of nowhere for us to surrender our lives, to live with a desire, a denial, a death, and a total devotion to Christ. And they're invitations that God gives us to make a difference in somebody else's life. And instead of me being so busy with me trying to pursue what I want to pursue, I have to pause. Listen, one of those spontaneous invitations, sometimes they, they show up like it. You, you have to pause in a conversation with somebody you meet at Walmart to let them know that you really care about them. It may be in that moment. You may not be able to pray at that moment or, or do anything or fix anything, but just the fact that they look into the eyes of another human being that actually care about what's happening in their life. Sometimes that spontaneous opportunity shows up when you walk in the work. Instead of looking, this as a place for a paycheck. I walk into work and I say, man, God, what a platform you have given me. What, what a place, what a mission field that I have today to let Jesus shine in my life. And it's spontaneous. Sometimes it's setting aside our own to-do list just to set with a friend that's going through pain and tragedy? Will we introduce ourselves to somebody new today in this church instead of just walking and talking to our same old friends every Sunday? You'll be amazed sometimes those spontaneous moments arise up. Somebody new, they, they, they just meet. Oh, you go to church. Oh, yeah, I go to church. Then all of a sudden something happens. Surrender spontaneously. Secondly, sacrifice strategically. 
I love those daily unexpected opportunities that God uses to stretch my, my faith and my spiritual muscles. But let me tell you, there's, there's also ways. Over the years, I've, I've strategically placed in my life areas that enable me to grow in my discipleship with Jesus Christ. Salvation is free. Come on, say that with me. Salvation is free. We're not talking about trying to earn your way to nothing. Salvation is free. Discipleship costs everything. And there's areas of our life, and listen, which we can sacrifice strategically. The reason why the Word of God is so important to me, is so powerful for me, listen, I strategically make it an effort to read the Bible every day and spend time with God. Not just preparing messages, just my time with God. You have to be strategic about that. People say, well, you know, I don't know nobody at Heartland. I don't, listen, you have to be strategic about either getting in a small group or volunteering to serve someplace. You with me? You have to be strategic about that. Everybody's schedule's full. Everybody has something different that they could do. But when you strategically sacrifice, when you sacrifice at a point that I'm going to be very strategic about. You know what? We have, we have hundreds of people that every weekend, they strategically sacrifice their Sunday morning to go to church. You know why every believer doesn't do that? Because we haven't made it a strategic appointment in our lives. Well, good preaching, Pastor Bill. Listen, what I've discovered, now watch this. Go ahead and stand. i got to quit. What I've discovered in my personal walk with God, the salvation is free. Discipleship is costly. What I've discovered when I've, when I've submitted, when I've yielded to God, when I said, God, I have a desire to follow you, I want to deny myself. Lord, I, I want to be, I want to live my life not for me. I want to die to myself. I want to be devoted to you. I've discovered that as I've allowed God to inconvenience my faith, it always grows. See, some people want a Christianity that is convenient. Okay? It's convenient. Oh, yeah, man, I got nothing else to do, so I'm going to go to Bible study. I got nothing else to do, I'm going to be in small group. I've got nothing else to do, I'm going to serve. I got nothing else to do, I'm going to, no. Listen, what, what I've discovered in my long life, when I started submitting to say, God, I'm okay when you inconvenience my life. My faith has always, always grown. I was reading the other day in the 1800s in Scotland, when revival was breaking out in, in the rural areas, the authors pointed out that those people, men and women who lived out in nowhere, they traveled miles, treacherous paths for long distance, distances, even during winter months, to gather for worship. Their meaningful participation in the church and in revival, it wasn't easy for them, but guess what? Every time they showed up, God was faithful, and he met them in a powerful, powerful way. One author said, 
those men and women in that day, they were hungry for Christ and they considered it a joy to be inconvenienced for the sake of following Jesus. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.